The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord God, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated for our readings. A reading from the book of Malachi. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Well, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. The letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to an encounter in another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. 
with the youth and adults and a whole lot of other great things. Um, and it's good to be worshiping with you all again this morning. Um, my family and I just got back from our sabbatical last Sunday. Um, and so it's great being home. It's great getting to preach and do the priesting thing again. That's not a word. I like using it anyway. Um, just thank you again for all your support and love and sending us away for some recharge time. We've been very blessed. Hopefully, I'll come up with some good sermon illustrations from all of that as well. As we start the sermon today, we are doing um, drawing prompts today. This is something we do um, when our kids, especially like today, all of them are with us today. The drawing prompt is just if it will help our kids or if it helps you as an adult to focus a little better and, and, and pull into the message, then you can do this. We have some supplies in the back if you need to go get them, some colored pencils, paper, things like that. Um, I have one drawing prompt for today, but Pastor Andrea gave me a drawing prompt the other day, so I was going to start off with hers and we'll go from there. So pastor's idea for the drawing prompt was just, it's me, I'm back, draw me. <laughs> and I can't stop you from drawing me, but I would like to ask just two things. Be kind. <laughs> and maybe don't share them a whole lot once you're done. I don't think that one comes for adults. Adults, if you need to put focus, don't do, don't do the draw Pete one. Um, but otherwise, mine for today is just draw a very favorite Bible story, a story that reminds you all about who God is and, and what he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we can come worship together. Um, ask that you, you bless our hearts, that you open your word to us, um, that we may receive from you. Amen. So about two weeks ago, my wife and I received um, the same notification on our phones. Uh, we share some online storage, uh, and the notification was that that storage was just about full. Uh, I'm always a little surprised by things like that. You always think you have more space than you do. So I was checking to see what was going on. There was one main culprit. Any guesses where all of our space went on our phones? Not cryptocurrency. Not mining cryptocurrency. No, no. Pictures and home videos, exactly. (laughs) We have a lot of pictures on our phone, like many of you, and I guess this summer we added a lot more than we expected. Although some of that might have been our daughter, Ellie, who likes to grab a phone occasionally and just go nuts. Um, now, you know, we could eventually work through those pictures and delete things off and have, think, you know, more space, but who's got time for that? Um, but this summer was such a great opportunity for pictures, for these memories, and even if we have to buy more storage because of them, I'm really glad for this. And these pictures, especially, I'm glad for them because they give us um, such a good opportunity to remember what we had. Uh, and I hope Liz and I can remember things, but especially we want our kids to be able to remember this summer, and especially, again, Ellie's just turned three. She can't remember anything about the summer if she doesn't have some help. So we have these pictures for her so she can remember the different things we got to do and have together. We got to take, for instance, our best trip ever as a family just because our kids were happy the whole time. Um, But we got to go out to the Black Hills where Liz's mom is. We went into Wyoming. We came home. Everything went well. We have pictures. We want them to remember that. Then we took a camping trip. That was the complete opposite. It was awful. It was horribly cold and rainy. Uh, The kids were grumpy. Liz almost got carried away by mosquitoes. We had to go pull her down a couple times. Um, I want the kids to remember that as well for this summer. (laughs) Remembering, though, you know, it's not just to have the fun things to show people pictures. It's not just remember these events happened. But it's in these shared experiences we have stories together now. We've been shaped together in new ways. We remember things. We learned things about each other. These pictures are about that remembering and how important that is for us as a family. 
So this summer, we've been working through the minor prophets. Of course, all the prophets in general have a few slightly distinct emphases. Otherwise, they largely draw on the same basic problems that the people have. And really throughout a lot of those, I think one of the big problems for the people is just, do they really remember God and all that he is and all that he has done for them? So even as we're coming to Malachi today, um, I think the biggest question beyond, underneath everything that we're looking at today anyway is just that question of remembering. And that explains so many of the issues that people have. So Malachi is ministering to Judah, and especially in Jerusalem, probably 60 to 100 years after the people have returned from exile in Babylon. And things among the people are just not going well. Um, If you've ever read Ezra or Nehemiah before, Malachi's probably preaching somewhere around them. Um, It's hard to tell for sure. And he's having very similar issues that you'd see in those books. The people have come back for exile. Exile was the judgment for their sins and for the way they they disregarded God and what should have opened their eyes in so many ways. But as they've come back, many people are still taking God for granted. They're pursuing sin and injustice. They even have a temple rebuilt, and they aren't honoring God by their worship in it. So Malachi was sent by God, of course, to preach repentance, to turn back to him. And this is the book we have. And if you want one quick fun fact, Malachi might not actually be the prophet's name. Very literally, it just means my messenger. So it could be a title. We don't know, and it's actually totally irrelevant to the reading of the story, but that's what makes it a fun fact. It has no value other than just that you know it. So now you know it. So Malachi, as a prophetic book, is fairly unique. All the content within it is contained under um, six major disputes. Um, They all follow the same basic structure. So really, it's one of the more structured prophetic books. It's kind of fun to look at in that way. Uh, And the way the disputes work is that first, God will make a claim about or kind of against Israel. And then they're given a voice to answer or to question what God has said. And then God will make a lengthier response, kind of demonstrating his point, calling people to change repentance and all those. The passage in our bulletin actually just follows this form exactly. We see God says, your words have been hard against me. So the people respond, how have we spoken against you? And then God responds with a lengthier explanation of the wrongs in their thoughts and speaking, but also what's really going on and what they need to realize and how they can change in this. These six disputes are actually quite fascinating in and of themselves. They're very challenging in various ways. But again, I was really drawn to the broader problems that stand behind all of these disputes, especially that way that it's because the people don't remember that they have these problems. They don't remember God or his mighty acts, so they turn away from him. They dishonor him. They blame him for their lives and what's happening. So we'll briefly consider just a few of these or some parts of these disputes to kind of help highlight this bigger problem. And I think it's helpful for us to see just what this lack of remembering is doing for them. So the first dispute right away is surprisingly foundational. God says to the people, I have loved you. But their response isn't, we love you too, or thank you, or anything like that. Their response is, how? How have you loved us? Now, it's not It's not an honest question. That can be a good question sometimes when we're struggling and we're wondering what's going on with God. But in this context here, it's not that. It's a little closer to like an emotional outburst by a teenager, right? Ah, you've never loved me. But it's actually a whole lot more than that because it's the question, but then they go on living their lives, acting out of this, just saying God's love doesn't matter. He doesn't love us. It doesn't matter. We're going to do our own thing. That's not what's going on. So they just rejected God and all his complaints. Uh, all of his, sorry, not his claims for them. That's a very serious problem for these people. They are brought together because of their covenant relationship with God, because of their love, and they're just saying, it's meaningless to us. 
And that leads very directly into really the rest of the disputes as well, um, very especially into this next um, problem that comes up in the second dispute. So in the second dispute, um, God explains that the people, um, not just the people, even the priests in God's temple, he says they've despised him. It means they've treated him with contempt or disgust. And the big part, one really big part of that problem, God says they're offering to him polluted animals in worship. That might not quite sound despising to us, but let's think about that for a second. As part of Israel's worship, God had given them uh, a sacrificial system. It was about showing how Israel's sins would, of course, lead to death. But God was there to forgive, to remove sin, to give life, to restore relationship with himself. The sacrifices helped act out this reality in front of them. But there were, of course, at least a few very specific rules for sacrifices, one of them being the animals had to be perfect without blemish or defect or anything like that. But the people, in the midst of this very important act of worship, when they're supposed to be acknowledging their sins, when they're supposed to be dwelling on God's love, their need for him, his forgiveness, they're offering their very worst animals in this. He says they're actually giving the blind, their sick, their lame animals to him. Now, it's not like God couldn't use those animals. God can do what he wants, but it's about the heart issue for the people. He actually asks them, would you offer this to your, you know, your rulers, your governors? How would they receive the worst you have to offer? So it's a sign of disrespect of God, but it's so much more. It's just how much they really have devalued their relationship with God. They're keeping their best for themselves to enjoy or to sell. God is getting the worst, but it's not like just the worst. It's like the worst of the leftovers. They have nothing worse than the sick animals, and that's what they're bringing to God. So they've set aside God's love, so it makes sense that they don't really care enough to worship or be generous to him. Before moving on, um, I want to just dwell a little longer on this point. I really love the challenge in this one. Um, It's where I come to a lot in Malachi. I read it, and I think about my own service, my own offerings to God, and I love the challenge of, am I actually giving my best, or is God getting leftovers? But it's important for us to know when we think about this that the challenge here It's not about things like mistakes that we make or being imperfect. It's not about trying to give God our best and just not being good enough. The point is just the challenge to give ourselves as fully as we can, to give our gifts for God as much as we can, even when it feels like our gifts aren't really all that great for him. I was thinking of it like this. Um, Again, my daughter, Ellie, is coming up in this sermon. Um, She loves to watercolor paint sometimes. And she'll take a surprising amount of time on these little paintings, picking her colors and mixing things and making a big mess. Um, When she's done, though, she loves giving us the paintings she's made. She's very intentional, thinking about this one's for mom, this one's for dad. Occasionally, her brothers get something from her. Uh, It's so wonderful to see her smile, to see her joy as she gives these paintings. And you know, they're not going to a museum, they're not worth a lot of money, but she is giving us her very best in love for us. That is what God is asking for us here, that we respond to his love with our own love as best we can. He's not asking us to give what we don't have. So we'll end our consideration of these disputes by just kind of mixing together the fourth and sixth one. They're very similar, so it works well. Um, The sixth dispute is the one that you have in your bulletin in front of you. Um, So in both of these, God's claim against the people is just that they don't believe in his goodness and his justice anymore. The people say, well, God, it's it's vain to serve you. What's the profit of keeping God's charge? They're calling the arrogant blessed. They're saying evildoers prosper. Or some are just saying, where is the God of justice? Now, again, like the first dispute, the people aren't 
um, asking an honest question here, and that's shown by their actions. They're saying, where is the God of justice? And then they're saying, we're just going to go do all the injustice we want. They're using this as an excuse to take the easy way or to do the wrong things, to find the easiest way to make the most money or anything like that. They're saying, doesn't matter anymore, we're doing our own thing. And God's response to the people is, well, what about the future? He promises he is coming again. He's coming in judgment. He will refine the people who follow him. He will judge against those who revel in wickedness. In our reading, we kind of see an image of the sun rising. And in the image, the, 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 the wicked are like plants that have no connection to water and life. They've long dried out. And so the rising sun scorches and burns them completely, even like an oven. But he promises that the righteous, those who love, revere, follow God, they will know the sun rising in righteousness with healing in its wings. They'll know health and life, peace in him. And from there we come to the book's epilogue. It's just the last three verses of the book. And that epilogue just brings home very simply kind of two of the big ideas that have been going on throughout the book about what the people need to remember or how they're going to change in this. And it's just that the people must remember the law of Moses they also need to know that the Lord is coming back. Now, when it says here, remember the law of Moses, it does mean they need to obey God. They need to live the way he has told them. It is about obedience. But don't let it only be about a command about rules. When we think about the law of Moses, we think about the books of Moses, a huge chunk of that is story. It's the story of God forming a people, choosing them, loving them, redeeming them, making them have a covenant relationship with himself. That's at the core of what the people have to remember. Yes, of course, God's given them a way to live, but that comes out of living directly from who God is, what God has done. They must remember that. But again, in the time of Malachi, we see that deep down the people have forgotten these things. They've put them aside. They doubt God's love because they forgot that he saved them, redeemed them, brought them, blessed them. They treat God with contempt because they don't hold to who he is anymore. They've just defined him in their own way. They neglect justice because they forget that God is just and righteous. They forget he saved his people and he will come and save them again. Their inability to remember the past means they can't even remember the promises he has for their future, promises of peace and joy and goodness. So as part of turning from their actions for all these problems in the nation, the people just need to begin with remembering again. I think this is a good challenge always for us. We need to remember God. We need to remember what he has done, who he really is, even when we don't understand anything, when we're hurting, confused, or just busy. (laughs) Anything, we need to remember God. This is actually one of the vital purposes of the church. We meet together every week to praise God together, to tell his story together, to receive communion. communion. This helps us to remember We need each other for this. Without this, we're always at risk of forgetting God. Yeah, without the church, we might remember the little details and the facts, but we'll forget the truth and the life that these things have for us. But as I was thinking about remembering this week, I was struck that the people of Israel, they didn't just accidentally forget God, or it didn't like just happen completely by, you know, chance. They weren't walking around and suddenly go, oh, wow, I forgot everything. Um, Now, at least some of the people, some of the people didn't ever have a chance to remember because they didn't know the stories in the first place. Some were never told. They were never cared for. They were never had the goodness of God proclaimed to them. So, of course, they couldn't be formed by these things. But for many others in Israel, this forgetting was something intentional or at least it was avoidable. 
in part. Now, certainly for some, again, there were those doing wrong intentionally. They were pursuing injustice intentionally. They felt like they were fine without God, and frankly, it was easier this way. They'd be more free, have a better time in their lives, make more money, whatever, if they just dropped God and his law completely. But then for others, maybe it's something else. Just life was really hard and really busy. And what began as innocently missing out on the feasts, the the sacrifices, the festivals, um, innocently skipping that chance to hear God's story suddenly became something that happened again and again. They kept putting things off. They kept needing to get things done or it just became too hard to turn back. And so they forgot. Or maybe even some of this began in grief and in anger. This is what was in my mind this week because it's so true for myself with relationships. It's really easy if I'm mad at someone else, perhaps um, my wife, though I would never be mad at Liz. Um, But if I was angry with Liz, it's very easy to uh, hold on to the anger, to hold on to that sense of wrong, and in doing so to kind of forget or push aside all the countless hours, days, years of good, of right, of love. Sometimes in my own anger, it feels so much better to push aside the good, to purposely forget in order to maintain the sense of being wronged. And almost everyone in the people of Israel at this point, they had such real reasons for grief and anger. And it is good. We have to grieve. We have to know anger at wrong. But were some of the people letting those struggles start to push them to forget God, who he is and all that he's done? God just tells his people to turn and remember again. Remember that God saved them, that he is just and trustworthy. He will make all things right. And Israel had so much to look back on, so many ways to remember. But we always have more than they did. We get to look back on God's greatest action. Malachi promises, uh, in Malachi, God promises that he is, of course, going to come again to his people. And we know that he did come. God came among us fully as God and fully as man in Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows us and reminds us who God is. He's the God of justice who challenges those in power when they neglect mercy, generosity, love. He's the God who loves the the outcasts. He calls sinners to repent. He's the God who forgives, the God who heals. And in the death of Jesus, we see and remember the way that God hates sin, but he loves us as his children. He takes our place, our sin, our death. And then his resurrection is a reminder that God cannot be defeated. He wins the ultimate victory for us. He offers life forever with him. And as we remember all of these things, we too are like ancient Israel that we are waiting for God to come and act again. But we know when he does come, we can trust he will set all things right. We have this hope no matter what else. Our God is a righteous judge and a loving father. He will truly make all things right again. And for all who revere and love the Lord, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and we will know peace and joy and the love of Christ our Lord forever and ever. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are and who you've shown yourself to be, especially um, in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, our Lord. Draw our hearts and minds always, willingly or unwillingly, um, to you to remember, to be changed, um, shaped by you in these things. Form us and make us in your love and truth and justice um, and help us to be signposts in this world to each other and others of um, just who you are. Uh, Help us, we pray. Amen.